Amen. Thank you so much for your singing to lift our voices together to sing holy, holy, holy is a, a foretaste, just a sample uh, of eternity, right? Of gathering around the throne, of giving praise to God. And so thank you for singing this morning and adding your voices uh, to the chorus. Uh, whether it was a joyful noise or a beautiful sound, uh, it's good for us all to sing together. If you take your Bibles this morning and open to the book of Jude, to the book of Jude, these four weeks here, as I'm going to be sharing uh, during July as we're all together in one morning service, we're going to be looking at the book of Jude. It breaks down nicely into, into four, um, four sections, four sermons, and so we're taking a little break from Daniel for a few weeks and looking at the book of Jude. So, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 1027, almost to the end, page 1027 uh, there in the pew Bible. So as you make your way there, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come to gather together, Lord, the importance of us to regularly gather, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together and, and to sing together as we join our voices to sing truth, not just to sing anything, but to sing truth of, of who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And Lord, those songs that bring us hope and peace and comfort and remind us of your amazing grace and blessing showed to us. Lord, help us now as we come to your word. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, the living word, and we thank you for the Bible, your written word. Lord, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Lord, these two things which are eternal that are of utmost importance, Jesus and your word. Lord, through your word we know about Jesus. And I pray that you would use your word this morning to make us more like Jesus as we seek to follow him. We pray in his name. Amen. This morning our passage is Jude, verses 5 through 16. Please follow along as I read our passage this morning. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael Contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning reasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's heir and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, 
uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. The book of Jude is 20, uh, 25 verses long. It, it's not long at all. And it's interesting. It's a brief letter written to a group of believers. If it's a, a, a single church or a group of churches, we aren't necessarily sure. But Jude is writing, and he wanted to write to them about what? Their common salvation, he says in verse 3. He wanted to speak of these wonderful truths of the gospel. But yet certain circumstances had arisen among these people that he needed to write concerning something else. Concerning these false teachers that have crept into the church. And so he writes to his uh, readers concerning the faith and contending for it. That word contending is the idea of agonizing, of battling, of putting forth effort, of of seeking to defend the faith. And in verses 1 through 4, we looked at last week, Jude introduces himself as a slave of Jesus Christ. He introduces himself as far as who he is, his identity. And identity is huge. Who you are impacts what you do. We get it backwards. In our minds, what we do defines who we are right? Oftentimes you ask, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a farmer. I work in a factory. I'm a teacher. I'm a nurse. I'm a business owner, so on and so forth. And, and we use that to define us where the gospel says, no, no, no. First and foremost, you are in Jesus Christ. And that determines what you do and how you live your life. And so Jude recounts his identity. And then he recounts the purpose of why he's writing, right? To defend the faith for the hope of the gospel. Because these people were cheapening the grace of God. They were using the grace of God as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Hey, I believe in Jesus, therefore I can live however I want. And the amazing thing is, or really the astounding thing is, is that far too many people today have that same idea. It's not... A novel thing. This has been happening since really the beginning of time. Right? I claim to know Jesus. I claim to understand the gospel. I can live however I want. And Jude says, that is not what you have received. And so he introduces the conflict of what is happening. He uses this language of battle, of fighting, of, of agonizing for the truth of the gospel. But now in verses 5 through 16, he moves on to defend his proposition of contending for the faith. And what he does is he describes those men and possibly women who have crept into the church and who are speaking these false things about the word of God and about Jesus. 
the philosopher Sun Tzu, if I'm pronouncing that right, probably not. Uh, he was the Chinese individual who wrote the book, The Art of War. And in it, he says this, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. One aspect of warfare that is so necessary is knowing your enemy, knowing their capabilities, knowing their manpower, knowing what technology, what instruments of warfare they have. Being a, a guy who loves history, uh, I, my wife and I just finished a documentary on World War II. And it's, it's fascinating to, uh, to watch that documentary and listen and learn about the overestimation and underestimation of, of different armies and their capabilities and, and what one general thought that the other army had and they were severely mistaken. They did not know their enemy. And how knowing the enemy was vastly different. For in World War II, the Germans had a different mindset than the Japanese. And the way that the war ended on both fronts varied greatly because of the mindset of the enemy. In the art of war, knowing your enemy is an important part of the battle. As Jude writes to us in verses 5 through 16, he is describing the mindset and attitude of the enemy, these false teachers. And it's important because when we know the mindset of false teachers and their motivation and their desires, it's easier it's helpful for us to spot them in the church. If you know what you're looking for, and if you know your enemy, it's helpful to recognize them. Their pattern of living, their motivations, their choices, their actions reveal to us who they are. And it's helpful for us as a guard against our own sin natures that we don't fall into that same pattern. As we look here at Jude verses 5 through 16, our big idea is this, is that knowing the actions of past apostates or false teachers helps guard the church against present false teachers. So knowing how apostates, that term is, is somebody who's abandoned the faith or a false teacher, knowing the actions of past apostates helps guard the church against present false teachers. Because there truly is nothing new under the sun. Sin is sin and it is expressed in eerily similar ways throughout the centuries. So knowing the actions of, past, of the past helps in the present. Jude is writing in the first century here and he's describing false teachers from the history of Israel which we will look at. And in doing so, he's reminding his readers in the first century of what they should look out presently. And we are doing the same thing now as we read about those false teachers in the Old Testament. As we read about the false teachers in Jude's day, we can now even be warned and guard against false teachers in our world today. So there's two things in our outline here, two aspects of knowing our enemy. And the first is their activity of rejecting God-given authority. The activity of rejecting God-given authority. 
In verses 5 through 16 here, Jude is going to do a lot of biblical theology, meaning he's going to use examples from the past, the history of Israel and the tradition that's passed down through the the law, the books of of poetry and, and history. And he's going to use those things as examples and as warnings to his present situation. He's also going to draw in some extra biblical writings. Uh, to use as an illustration to his listeners. It's very similar today where I may quote a commentator. I may quote another author or another writing with a spiritual mindset. It's not the word of God, but yet it's helpful in our discussion. And Jude does that several times uh, in his discourse here. So let's look at here at how these false teachers, these past apostates have acted. And first off, they reject God-given authority. Verse 5, Jude writes, he says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So verse 5 picks up right after verse 4, obviously, and he's going to use this as an argument to basically defend his proposition of defending the faith. And he's reminding them, he's drawing to their memory Things that would be commonly accepted amongst them. Things that they would all know and remember. And so his first illustration is that of the nation of Egypt coming out of, or nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. It's interesting, uh, Jude uses the term Jesus. That Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Now was Jesus in bodily form leading the people out? No. But Jude understands Jesus in his position as God uses that as a reference that God himself drew the people out of Egypt. He used Moses and he drew them out of this land that was oppressing them, that was enslaving them. You remember Moses taking the people out across the Red Sea as it splits. He takes them through the wilderness, through the desert, and manna comes, and water from rocks, and receiving the Ten Commandments, all these amazing things. But yet, what do we read here? Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. Who is Jude speaking of? He's talking about the generation that complained and grumbled in the wilderness. That God judged them. In a sense, they came out of Egypt following after God, but they turned their backs on God. They complained and grumbled against the Lord. They did not live a life in accordance with the salvation that they received, and ultimately, they rejected that authority of God, and they were judged. And then he moves on in verse 6 to an account from the book of Genesis, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. This refers to Genesis 6, the sons of God who had relations with the daughters of men. And this is always a classic question at ordination councils, right? Who are the sons of God? Who are the daughters of men? You know, this obscure statement from Genesis, uh, what are your thoughts? What do you think? Jude here makes it clear that his thinking is that these angels are these sons of God who do not stay within their own position of authority. But rather, they descended, they came down, 
and they had relations with human women. Now, there's a lot of questions that might come to your mind with what that all entails. But the point of Jude including this is this, is that God had created angels. He has created humankind in specific positions and to move or to change or desire a different position is to reject the authority of God. So these angels, he said, did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. And they descended. They fell. These would be fallen angels that we would understand. And they have rebelled against God and where God has established them, how he's created them, in what position but they left their proper dwelling and he has kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. What we see here again is Jude's pattern of rejecting the authority of God and the resulting punishment. Second Peter, or Peter also writes about these angels who are reserved uh, in chains until the ultimate day of judgment. Then in verse 7, another instance from the book of Genesis, this of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns. These towns were overwhelmed with sexual immorality, with homosexuality, with going against the proper order of how God designed humankind. God designed male and female, and it was good. It was Sexuality was designed to... Uh, take place between a, a husband and a wife in a covenant marriage relationship. One man, one woman for one life to leave and to cleave. And this was the good God-ordained pattern that God had given to mankind. But yet mankind rebelled against God's authority and his design. And he says, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, and pursued unnatural desire. There's a variant there that says different flesh also, to be a descriptor. They pursued unnatural desire. And what was the result? Well, we understand from the book of Genesis, Sodom, Gomorrah, Lot and his wife leaving do not turn around. What happens if you turn around? You'll become like the city. The Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt as she fled the city because judgment was being poured out on those who rejected the God-given pattern and authority in their lives. And Jude says, these things, the nation being judged in the wilderness, these angels being judged for leaving their proper dwelling, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities rejecting God's authoritative pattern in their life. They serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So Jude rehearses these things for his readers to remind them that when you reject the authority and pattern of God, what results? Judgment. Punishment destruction, condemnation. That is what results when you reject the authority of God. And he continues in verse 8. 
Yet in like manner, these people also. So now he's, he's talking about the present day false teachers. Yet in like manner, so just like those before, these people also, they rely on their dreams. And that phrase is interesting. We've been going through Daniel and dreams have been happening in Daniel, right? Given to Nebuchadnezzar. But those dreams are God-ordained and there's a, a God-ordained interpreter of those dreams. Here, Jude emphasizes that these dreams are not from God, but rather are manifest or made up by these individuals. They rely on their dreams. They defile the flesh. It's the idea of living in a sinful way, whether sexually or doing things to the body that is not honoring to God. They reject authority and they blaspheme the glorious ones. The glorious ones is a phrase that involves angels and God, the supernatural realm. These false teachers are saying, basically, we know more than any supernatural being. We know more. Listen to us. (laughs) Listen to our teaching, not that which you've received from God. These false teachers, as they cheapen the grace of God, do so, and in doing so, they reject the authority of God. They are saying, you don't need to listen to God. Listen to us. God's patterns are backwards. Follow my pattern. Follow the way that I think or what I do. And he uses this illustration here in verse 9 from something we don't read about anywhere else in Scripture. It comes from another extra-biblical writing uh, that the Jews had concerning the body of Moses. Verse 9, But when the archangel Michael, uh, we're going to meet Michael in a few weeks as we continue uh, through the book of Daniel, Michael is one of the named angels in the Bible, and it seems that his position is that of the protector of Israel, of the commander of the Lord's army. Michael, contending with the devil, so Satan, the enemy of God, a fallen angel, Michael and Satan were disputing over the body of Moses. If you remember from the end of the book of Exodus, or excuse me, the end of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses gives his last sermon. That's the book of Deuteronomy. And then Moses is taken up to the mountain and God shows him the promised land. But Moses is not allowed to enter into the promised land and he dies. No one knows where the body of Moses was laid. And here we have this extra biblical writing that said Michael, the angel came to take the body of Moses, but Satan was contending him for it. They were disputing over the body of Moses. But Michael did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, meaning he did not speak out on his own authority, saying, Satan, get behind me. (laughs) Uh, I am more powerful than you are. Michael did not rely upon his own position and strength as the archangel of God's armies, but rather, what does Michael say? He says, the Lord rebuke you. Michael, the angel, did not blaspheme against the Lord or against Satan, but rather he spoke in the name of the Lord. He was 
not putting him position, himself in a position of authority and power that he himself did not have. Verse 10, but these people, back to the false teachers of Jude's time, these people, they blaspheme all the day. They speak against God and they speak all that they do not understand. They're almost ignorant in their blaspheme. They're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand in- instinctively. They act in a way that is unthinking. They act according to their desires, their basic animal impulses. That's what he says. They understand instinctively like unreasoning animals. Um, Many of you have pets. Uh, We are not a pet family, so think of me what you will. But we were not a pet family growing up, and it's translated to now. So we just have good friends who have pets, and we take our kids to their house. Uh, But uh, some of our good friends, Pastor James and family, recently got a new puppy. And this puppy is full of all kinds of animal instincts. And it just likes to have a good time and to jump and to bite and to, to play and to dig in flowers and all these things that is the reason why we don't have pets, right? And you, you look at an animal like that and you can think, well, that's, it's just a puppy. It's, it's how it how it's acts. That's what it does. It, it doesn't consciously think, oh, I'm going to do this today, right? It just goes after for whatever it wants. That's what these false teachers are like. They go after whatever they want without thinking in regard to God. Once again, that's a great definition of ungodliness, living your life without regard to what God thinks or who God is. And they act as unreasoning animals. They reject the God-given authority and they seek their own desires. They reject who God is and the patterns and authority that he has set in their lives. Not only do they reject the God-given authority, but they promote themselves over unity in the church. They're all about themselves. Our second point, second activity that these false teachers participate in is self-promotion over unity. Self-promotion over unity. And these two things go hand in hand. One often rejects the authority of God because they want to promote themselves. And particularly in the local church, they're promoting their self rather than the unity of the gospel. Verse 11, Jude says, woe to them. That idea of woe is basically curse or judgment being poured out on them. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Here are three more illustrations from the Old Testament. First off, Cain. Cain and Abel. Abel brought a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. Cain did not. Cain was angry. Cain was filled with pride. Cain killed his brother. Now, is that a definition of unity between two people? No. And we see how Cain continued on and his descendants were wicked and they flourished. And that part was partly part of the reason that the flood came about. And they abandoned themselves, these teachers, for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. Balaam is one of my favorite accounts in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers. It's fascinating. One of the, the, the nations set against the nation of Israel, they hire Balaam, who's a prophet, to pronounce a curse upon the nation. And can Balaam do it? No. 
And not only can Balaam not produce a curse, he ends up blessing the nation. And Balaam and his talking donkey and all the things that went along with that. Balaam was seeking self-promotion. He wanted to be paid. Show me the money. (laughs) That's what he wanted. He was all about himself. And he ultimately ended in judgment. Cain obviously received judgment. And then Korah. The last phrase in verse 11, perished in Korah's rebellion. Korah's rebellion is found in the book of Numbers also. Korah was part of uh, the, the nation of Israel, and it was a group of people, and they were upset that Moses and Aaron and the Levitical priests were the ones chosen by God to lead the nation. They wanted to lead. They wanted to promote themselves. And so they caused division among the people of the nation of Israel. And do you know what God did with Korah and his rebellion? He literally opened up the earth, they fell in, and the earth closed in over them. The earth swallowed Korah and his self-promotion that he was desiring, and all of his followers. Jude continues, these false teachers and their self-promotion are like hidden reefs or blemishes at your love feasts. That term love feast would be equated to communion, the Lord's table, the gathering together of the church. They are hidden reefs. Um, if you've ever uh, been around uh, a coral reef or an area where it's deep but then also shallow, if you're not aware, a boat will hit that and will become stuck. Or it will hit that and tear a hole in the bottom of the boat. It's hidden. You can't see it, but it causes destruction. They feast with you without fear. They are shepherds feeding themselves. Not shepherds as in pastors, but rather they are farmers or caretakers of sheep and they only care about themselves, not about their sheep. They are waterless clouds swept along by winds. We've had a little bit more rain here recently, but I'm sure we could use a little bit more. But to see a cloud rolling in that looks like it's filled with a great gully washer and have it come over and just be a few sprinkles and to keep moving, I'm sure that's frustrating to those of you who need rain. It holds such promise, but yet it's empty. That's what these false teachers are. They are fruitless trees in late autumn. You go to the apple tree looking to have a great harvest, and there's nothing there. These trees are dead. They're uprooted. They are the opposite of Psalm 1 and the righteous man. And they are like wild waves of the sea. They look impressive, but they cast up foam, and they are destructive. They are wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness had been reserved forever. They are wandering stars, meaning they aren't fixed. They aren't useful for navigation, but rather they are wandering. They have no home. Jude uses all these illustrations to reinforce the fact that they are all about themselves, that they have basically no use. They aren't helpful to the cause of the gospel in amongst these believers. They are all about themselves. But judgment is coming for them. Verse 14, Jude quotes another extra biblical book here, the book of of Enoch. And it says this, It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners had spoken against him. 
We see that phrase of ungodly used four times there. These false teachers live without respect to who God is. They live without respect to the unity of the gospel and they live only for themselves. And then this summary here in verse 16. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. These former apostates, these present false teachers in the letter of Jude, this is the summary. They are grumblers. They complain against God and his authority. They are not content, but rather they are always looking for something else. They are following their own sinful desires like a wild animal. They are loudmouth boasters. They speak without able to back it up. And they show favoritism to gain advantage. This is the mindset and the motivation of these false teachers. They reject the authority of God and they seek their self-promotion over the unity of the gospel. We need to be on the lookout. You take a step back and you look at broader Christianity and I'm sure there's some people that come to mind. People who promote themselves Celebrity pastors, right? That their smiling face is out there saying, follow me, send me $20, this or that. And they, they promote themselves, their image, their brand. They're false teachers, not teaching true gospel. Then there are those that reject God-given authority and say, no, 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 I know better, follow me. You know, regardless that for the past 2,000 years, the church believed that God meant what he said about marriage and sexuality. But now, let's, let's disregard that and let's follow what I say. They reject the authority of God. These are the false teachers that are out there still today. The health and wealth, the prosperity gospel, the preachers that say, we don't need the word of God, we just need love. They are false teachers, waterless clouds, hidden reefs. They are awaiting judgment like Sodom and Gomorrah and Korah's rebellion and the nation that uh, complained in the wilderness. It's who they are. Jude concludes in verse 16 the nature of these false teachers. They seek to gain advantage and standing for their own renown. They are rejecting the authority of God and promoting their own. This is the opposite of the gospel. This is the opposite of the way of Jesus. For Jesus himself said, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Jesus came to seek and to serve, not promote himself. And this is so important for us. It's important for us as we look out at the world around us the videos we watch and the books we read and the conversations we have that we are on the lookout for false teachers, but also we need to be aware of our own heart as believers in Jesus Christ. Because even as believers, our sin nature wants to reject the authority of God and our sin nature wants to promote ourselves. We may not have huge brands or websites or YouTube channels, but we can be all about ourselves as a little false teacher <laughs> in our own lives. And this is why inspecting our hearts and being on guard is so 
important. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, just as these false teachers have rejected authority of God, so have you. This goes back to the very beginning. What did Satan say to Eve? Did God really say? He rejected the authority of God. He said, take of the, of, of the, the tree and eat, right? Because the fruit looks what? Good. The idea of self-promotion, of desiring for ourselves. This pattern of these false teachers is really the pattern of our sin nature. Starting all the way back in the Garden of Eden until today. So if you're here this morning and you do not know Christ, you are actively rejecting the authority of God and you are promoting yourself. And before judgment comes, there's an opportunity to confess and repent and to find forgiveness of that rejection and of that self-promotion through Jesus Christ, the one who had every reason to have ultimate authority, the one who had every reason to promote himself, who did not, but rather gave up his own life for the sake of others. The call is to submit and trust in Jesus Christ, to submit to his authority and to promote him over ourselves to find forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. The ultimate end of these teachers is destruction, judgment, and condemnation. And we thank God for that. Wickedness and falsehood needs to be judged. But let us as believers in Jesus Christ to be quick to inspect our own hearts and to realize with sobriety that without Christ, we meet the same end as these false teachers. But let us with gratitude give thanks that Christ has come, that he has served, that he has died, and that through faith in Christ, we can be rescued from these mindsets, from these attitudes, from our own sin nature. So let us know the enemy of the gospel. Let us know the enemy of God. But let us also be on guard in our own hearts for the own sinful rebellion against God and self-promotion that can easily take hold of ourselves. To the detriment of the unity of the body and the message of the gospel. Let us be on guard against false teachers. Let us be on guard against our own sin nature. And let us seek to serve humbly the God who deserves all praise and glory and honor. Father, thank you for the reminder and the challenge from your word this morning. And even all these examples of Jude from history of men and women who have rejected you and have sought their own self-promotion, Lord. I pray that we would be on guard against this. That that is the nature of, of man. Lord, help us to see our sin. Help us to confess it, to put it to death. And for those here who may not know Christ, Lord, that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus. and That they would have forgiveness of their sin of rejecting you and of, of selfish pride and promotion. Lord, help us as a church seek to promote Jesus and the good news of the gospel over everything else. Lord, help us to be on guard as we seek to hold fast the word of truth that's been given to us. Lord, we love you. We pray for all these things in your son's name. Amen.